Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to another Disney vs. Disney Debates. I am your Grandmaster Zancy Weber and I have... Two people here to debate two Disney movies to find out which is the better in the interests of figuring out which is the best Disney movie movie ever made. Debating on behalf of The Nightmare Before Christmas today, we have Patrick Aiken. Patrick <laughs> Aiken! All right. Uh, that's exactly own. what he sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> and then debating on behalf of The Rescuers is Roz Howie. Roz Howie! Hello! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> This is an okay, equal Okay, we also point. have a studio audience again. <laughs> Hello. Uh, so, uh, Hi, studio audience. Listen oh. out for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so if you are joining us for the first time, we go through a round one where we have our opening arguments, round two where we have rebuttals and an open discussion, then a summation, then a verdict. And my verdict will be final and binding. <laughs> <laughs> There are five criteria which each of our debaters will be trying to uh, win points in today. Uh, One is the memorable moments. What about your movies makes them more memorable? What moments do you take away from the cinema? The message that Disney has put into the film, whether it is a good message looking back on it and whether it is a message we should carry forward with us. The movie magic. What about your movie makes it a better film? Uh, the magic music, how does music work into making your movie the better movie? And the catch-all criteria, that Disney touch. What about your film makes it uniquely Disney? Helping me keep you honest, of course, is the one and only Ellen Rose Sorensen. No honesty. Did you just Only boo blood. me? No, I Don't didn't. worry, Ellen. I've made a note of that. <laughs> Thank you, Zane. There will be no booing in this show. <laughs> okay, so we have rolled a dice and Roz won and decided to go first very bravely. And so, Roz... When you start talking, you will have three minutes to make your opening statements with a warning bell at two minutes, and we will cut you off at the end. Your time starts as soon as you start talking. Thank you. Okay, so The Rescuers, um, which is based on the books The Rescuers and Miss Bianca by Marjorie Sharp. Now, this movie had a bit of a convoluted history before it finally got off the ground. It originally entered development in 1962, uh, but the plot um, was very political and Disney didn't like that, so he shelved it. However, it was later revived in the 70s and was finally released to critical acclaim in 1977. It was an initial box office success and even outgrossed Star Wars in France. Uh, And it was Disney's first major animated success since The Jungle Book and the last until The Little Mermaid. 
So the plot tells the story of two mice who are members of the Rescue Aid Society, which is an underground movement of mice who are pledged to help and serve those in distress. And I love, by the way, that their founding member is actually Euripides' mouse, who was the original mouse pulling, who pulled the thorn from the lion's paw. Uh, the mice discover a bottle in a New York harbour, which is simply marked help. On reading the message inside, they discover it is from, they discover it is from an orphan girl called Penny, but no more than that. Two of the mice, the stylish Miss Bianca and the delightfully diffident Mr Bernard, take on the case and track Penny to her orphanage, only to find she's been kidnapped by the vile Madame Medusa, who wants the child to retrieve a hidden diamond. The mice track Penny and Madame Medusa to the Devil's Bayou, where it's all chases and escapes and capture and rescue and happy endings in the best Disney tradition. Now, this is a visually stunning movie. The film opens with a shot in of abandoned paddle steamer deep within the swamp at Devil's Bayou and we see the orphaned Penny creep out and drop a bottle over the side. The opening credits follow the perilous journey of the bottle through the sea and storm to its final resting place under a derelict jetty and honestly you just feel as though you have been plunged into an impressionist painting. The colours and the palettes of the, you know, the reds and the oranges and the purples of the storms and the sunsets are just stunning and, and this is a feeling that lasts right throughout the film. Um, it is an adorable, feel-good movie. Uh, the overall message is that anything can be achieved if you just have faith and that even the smallest and most insignificant of us can win out against the odds, which is kind of, I guess, the rainbows and ponies and lollipops feel that you just want from a Disney movie. The music is quite understated in the film. The songs form part of the background narrative rather than being sung by the main characters, but they're used to great effect to set the mood and carry the viewer along the emotional journey. Uh, in particular, I think, is the song Someone's Waiting For You, which is sung just as Penny is starting to lose hope that she will ever be rescued. And I swear, if that song doesn't bring you to tears, the cameo appearance made by Bambi and his mother will. <laughs> um, I mean, this, this movie, it, it just has all the Disney tropes in spades. It's got adorable talking animals. It has hilarious minor characters. It has sweet orphan children. It has bumbling henchmen. And it has the grotesque and diabolical Madame Medusa, who's kind of a... Cruella and Ursula hybrid. All right, okay, that is your three minutes. Lots of stuff there. Well done. Uh, I did not pick up on the Bambi cameo. No. Is it during the song? Yeah. Oh, okay, I will yeah, have to yeah, go yeah. back and watch it. I'm furiously trying to find out how much money Star Wars made in its initial release in, in France. France. <laughs> <laughs> My high school French classes are not really doing me well. I understand some words. Oh, I did it at uni. Um, it made more, but I just can't find out what the numbers are. All right. Well, in I, for, for now, we're going to consider that you uh, have given us correct information. I'm, ha I'm happy to concede that because I believe Star Wars made a ton of movie, a ton of money in really the year following that initial yeah, release because it, it got re-releases and VHSs yeah. because really the studio didn't know what they were dealing with. Mm. So I, I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. to be and honest. So I'm happy know. to concede that. It, it, it's France. I mean, adorable mice or, or Star Wars. And one, of the, one of the lead mice has a – does she have a French accent? No, she's Hungarian. She's Hungarian. Miss Bank, Miss Bank, Bank. Honestly, she Patrick. <laughs> Look, <laughs> it's not the film I'm here to represent. <laughs> Quite right. So now you will have three minutes with a warning at two and we'll cut you off at the end of your and time. the timer starts when? I start talking. When you start talking, you will have three minutes to tell us why The Nightmare Before Christmas is the best Disney film. You get cut off at one, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cross me. Don't listen to the timekeeper. I'm the boss around okay. here. Okay. <laughs>
So The Nightmare Before Christmas is not only a fantastic Disney film, but a brilliant film on its own. Um, Directed by Henry Selick, it was originally released under a daughter company of Disney called Touchstone because it was seen as too spooky for Disney's previous branding. But on release, um, they realised the universal critical and public praise that the film was receiving and the constant adoration people had for the film. It was then adopted under the Walt Disney banner and has become a staple of the Disney canon since. Henry Selick's work on the film as director is perhaps his best. Each frame is impeccably set. The production team takes advantage of the physical stop-motion animation style um, in the sets to use lighting and shadow in a really perfect balance across the varied and beautifully designed landscapes in the film, including Halloween Town, Christmas Town, and the Human Realm, which really exist in pure sort of contrast to each other, and they're part of that journey aspect of the film. Um, it's glorious, and on rewatch, the use of motion in the film is absolutely amazing. Um, the camera's physical movement through the set pieces propels us as the audience through the story physically, which matches the ongoing themes of discovery and wonder that our lead character, Jack Skellington, experiences. And on Jack, the character design in this film is absolutely fantastic. Our leads are charming, but almost more importantly, every single supporting background character is brilliantly designed. Um, And it's amazing because it's stop motion, but they managed to almost get the idea of that stretch you see in 2D animation. The characters seem to move beyond their physical realms, but they are models. It's amazing. Um, The film establishes this fresh world for us to live in that's fully realized um, with those characters. And well, the music is amazing. Danny Elfman's score has to be one of the most thematically cohesive soundtracks and scores in the Disney canon. The soundtrack and the score interact perfectly and they continually marry each other as the film goes on. Every song is part of a glorious overall gestalt that serves as but they also serve, sorry, as their own unique piece in a complete sort of musical narrative. Um, They're all bangers as well, and they're sung with absolute clear character voice, which I think is really important. I hate when a film has a song and all of a sudden the song is not from the character's voice. Um, The film is special not just because of all those brilliant technical elements, though. The themes of wonder, discovery, and learning um, to love yourself um, are endlessly important. And it also focuses on the um, idea of beauty and love within what are coded as sort of outsider characters, which is, I think, really important for a world that struggles more and more with social isolation. It also teaches us that loving something can often mean letting it be and that not everything has to be yours. You can appreciate things by supporting them instead of claiming them for yourself, which again is extremely important um, as a message now with our globalized world, but also issues around things like cultural appropriation. It teaches that you can love something by letting it be as opposed to claiming it for yourself. So I think the message continues to be important, not only for when the film was made, but as it goes on. And that's reflected by its ongoing popularity um, going forward. All right. Excellent. Well, who needs that extra? There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Timekeeper doing their job. Uh, Great. Well, that is, again, heaps of great points. Uh, We are closer than I would like. Uh, So... Roz, if you could please help me out and tell me why The Nightmare Before Christmas is not as good as Patrick seems to think. You'll have two minutes and you'll be cut off at the end of your time with no warning. Okay, well, um, Patrick actually touched on the reason himself when he mentioned cultural appropriation. Uh, In Nightmare Before Christmas, it's all about the subtext and when we get down there, we find out that Jack is actually all about cultural appropriation and homogenisation. He's basically a metaphor for the United States. Um, I mean, what does he do? He stumbles on the alternative culture of Christmas Town, and he's intrigued by it, but instead of trying to learn and understand it in a respectful way, he immediately appropriates it, kidnaps its rightful leader, and then attempts to improve it by stamping his own cultural values all over it. 
So he's destroying a culture in pursuit of his own self-interest. I mean, it looks strange and kooky and wonderful to us, but to the residents of Halloween Town, that is their normal and every day. And all they're doing is stamping their brand over someone else's culture. And at the end, the residents of Halloween Land just go meekly back to their own world. Apart from the snowstorm, there's no genuine cultural exchange, no richness or growth. Everyone just returns to their own sphere. So on the one hand, this film glorifies cultural appropriation, and on the other, it promotes a narrow worldview where the only safe road is to stay within your own milieu rather than, genuine, than, rather than promoting genuine cultural exchange and understanding. Sally is the only character who gets it, who realises that this is wrong, and nobody listens to her because she's a woman. Whew. Yep. All right. Yeah, girl. <laughs> Right, look, when you <laughs> now, I know Patrick. You want to rebut that? I know that you have things to say. Let's keep that for the open discussion. So try and keep your rebuttal to why the Rescuers isn't the best Disney movie ever made. Yep. And your time starts when you start talking. Wonderful. I don't think the Rescuers is a great Disney film because it is entirely forgettable. Um, when I first saw this debate category, I thought the film was An American Tale, which is a much better animated film about a mouse. I then remembered The Rescuers Down Under, which is the sequel, and I then had to Google the trailer for The Rescuers to see what was going on. On Googling that, I didn't remember any of the characters, even though I realised I had seen this film before. Um, and like you were saying, it relies on derivative ideas and character styles and Disney Disney tropes that feel tired. Um, you've got cute animated creatures with half-formed personalities that don't really drive the plot or change over the course of the story. Um, and Madame Medusa, while being a villain, like you said, is similar to greater villains in the Disney canon. She's not quite there. She feels like an almost realisation of Ursula or of Cruella de Vil. Also, the voice acting is terrible. There is some amazing... Um, animation work going on and I will concede that it looks beautiful as a film but you see these um, shots of Madame Medusa wailing and screaming and moving her arms but the voice acting coming work is I must get the diamond the devil's eye which does not match the performance if that matched the visual performance fine but it does not the film feels partially realized also there's just a lot of plot holes why does Madame Medusa need a child to get the diamond why this specific child she has crocodiles that she controls and as for cultural appropriation putting a white witch character in a bayou with crocodiles mm, it looks kind of like whitewashing sort of traditional New Orleans elements but we better have a white villain to make it more approachable for an audience all right okay Uh, Before we throw to a break, Ellen, is there any facts that need to be checked? I need you to clarify a point before I fact check. So you made the point about The Nightmare Before Christmas, um, Jack Skellington singing in character voice. Yeah. But his singing was done by Danny Elfman while his voice was done by by another actor. Another actor. You're talking more about the sound, not necessarily. More that the the songs themselves – resonate with the characters part of their journey right um and fit that moment in time in the yep. film some films and i'm not saying that this is the rescuers but some films in the disney canon feel like um soundtracks where the film stops and a song happens right and okay. then the film will Alrighty. start up again right what i meant by character voice is that each song in the film truly represents what the character is at that moment in the film and i find that enjoyable great fantastic fantastic Okay. Clarification there. Well, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with an open discussion uh, about a couple of things that I have to bring up, and uh, we will see you then. (laughs) 
right. So there are a couple of things that I want to clarify because the main point of contention is that I'm not 100% sold on Roz's argument that uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas glorifies cultural appropriation because that kind of, that's it seems to me that it is the point of to demonstrate cultural appropriation and the negative that it does. So I would like... Can I address that? I would like Roz to elaborate a little bit and then I'll, and then I guess you I'm can... I'm not sure I want to hear it. <laughs> but <laughs> well, please, unfortunately, feel free, I'll suffer in silence. <laughs> I don't know that it glorifies cultural appropriation as such in that it is more the case that it upholds it or it even sort of unconsciously does it, which is sort of worse in a way. Mm. It's in, in a bit the way that, again, as I said, Jack kind of takes his Halloween brand and stamps it all over Christmas Town because rather than trying to understand and adopt this new culture or, you know, appreciate this culture, he just goes, I, hey, this thing's great, but I can make it better. And, and does the fact that he learns his lesson at the end, so you're, you're suggesting that that doesn't solve the problem of demonstrating that in the movie? Uh, in the sense that they don't. They don't then embrace the culture and, and take it back with them. They just go back to being what they were. They're not changed by I it. I see. It's yeah. just they're, okay, I'm, so I'm going back to. it's kind of a cultural to, tourism sort of Yeah, yeah, thing. and then he just goes back to Halloween Town and he, you know, marries Sally presumably and they go off in there and he's happy being Jack and being in Halloween again. So he hasn't changed or grown. Okay. He's just come back to being who he was. Yeah, absolutely. So, Patrick, if you want to. I think, it, look, and I look. I did agree with a lot of things that you say about what happened in the film. Jack does go into this town, sees it, likes it, and takes it for his own. But I think that doesn't fit within what the broader context of the story is because then what happens is when Jack takes it, it perverts what it's meant to be. People get upset and he learns from that. He literally gets shot out of the sky and in the tatters, the physical tatters of his own body, that's the point where not only does he realise that what he did was terribly wrong, but he also learns who he is and how to love himself. And there's a moment um, in a beautiful song called Jack's Lament where he sits in the perhaps almost ham-fistedly, it's an image, the arms of an angel Mm. who has brought him back from his own destruction and he identifies who he is meant to be, Mm -hmm. how to love who he is meant to be, and then he goes and does everything in his power to restore what he has done. It doesn't say that it was okay to do that because Jack and Sally then have to go through a very large trial to rescue Santa, restore him to his rightful place. And while I can understand that, well, they then just go back and be the Halloween people again and there's no cultural exchange, I always took that as the idea that the idea was Christmas isn't what you're meant to do. You're here for Halloween. And then Santa shares the magic of Christmas with them. He flies overhead, wishes them a magic, a happy Christmas and brings snow to them, which they've never seen. And it's a gift, but they give all of Christmas back because the whole town recognizes that it was never meant to be theirs in the first place. Um, It's perhaps a little bit of a complex message for kids. And I think it's probably more pertinent now than it was. So I agree that the film is about cultural appropriation, but I don't agree that it, doesn't tell you that it's wrong at the end. And I think the characters do suffer for what they've done. Okay, fair enough. Um, 
Another thing that I'd like you to both elaborate a little bit on is both of your films have a very strong style. So you've spoken, uh, Roz, you've spoken a lot about the the beauty of the the painting that was done in the backgrounds mm-hmm. of the rescuers, mm-hmm. and of course we have the t- classic Tim Burton style in the Nightmare Before Christmas. I would like you to elaborate a little bit more on why your style is more Disney than the than your opponents. So I'll I'll let Roz I actually Roz go first because you are you chose to go first. Uh okay this is a tricky question because I mean what Disney is has evolved tremendously over the what is it 80 years 100 yeah, years how long has Disney has. been around? So um I think it's very difficult now to say that Disney is a particular thing. Um but the rescuers to me is is very Disney in the in the look of it the fact it is I mean, it's, okay, it's 1977. It's 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 classic animation, you know, two dimensional animation, and it has just has that that energy and that vibrancy that is classic of Disney. And it's sort of it has and it's putting, uh, I guess, the underdog and mm-hmm. raising them up. Okay, I mean, the the heroes in this film, they're mice. They're an orphan child, and it's you know these these small, you would think, insignificant characters who are fighting against you know, the, the evil villain and the alligators and, you know, winning yeah, out against yeah. all odds. And they're very, you know, and they're, they're brave little characters too. Like, you know, Penny's got spirit. She she slaps the alligators around when they steal her teddy bear and, you know, Miss Bianca and Bernard, they're in there, you know, they're like, you know, into the danger and going into it. So I think in that respect it, it makes it a very classically yeah, Disney film. Absolutely. And Patrick? Um, well, I suppose I do have to concede that, especially at the time that it was released, Nightmare was not a classic Disney film visually. Um because it wasn't. It wasn't what Disney did. They didn't release it as a Disney film. But Disney recognised what it had become and decided to claim it and to incorporate that style within their canon. They don't use it again. It's Nightmare's style. But I think what Nightmare does that is absolutely brilliant, both um, technically but what where the magic of the film really comes from, is it's not just stop-motion animation. There is animation overlaid onto the film and it's absolutely stunning how it's done. You have a 3D animated film where then 2D animated ghosts fly around and interact mm-hmm. with 3D objects. All the flames are 2D animated overlaid. You have a twig, it's a thistle turned into a Christmas tree physically by via stop motion animation that then bursts into 2D flames. All the snowflakes are 2D animation and interact with the 3D models. And it creates this really wonderful sort of blend of style. And it's those moments in the film when they use 2D animation that that magic and wonder really pops. I think also the visual style of Nightmare is extremely, um, it's extremely unique and it's very Tim Burton, but it's also very Henry Selick. But I also think that the style is why it is so special because Mm -hmm. it uses contrast and color masterfully um halloween town has a palette of white black and orange but it has depth and physical texture you feel like you can touch the sets everything is detailed with the texture you look at a door frame in dr finkelstein's tower and it has multiple bolts and twisted bits of metal around it that are physically there um you go into christmas town and the way that they use physical lights in the set they have christmas lights and snow and smooth structures which is in direct contrast so by using that physical style that you see it allows for the film not only to have very very clear changes to shape and movement 
and color, but also texture. And it makes it makes it an extremely rich film to watch that brings a reality, but also a magic to it because the impossible becomes possible, but you know that what you're looking at is physically there. Mm -hmm. It feels like they're cheating. Um, (laughs) And it makes it the story more real and the characters more real. Okay. Um, Yeah. Good answer. I like it. Uh, Well, if neither of you have any questions yet, you I have, have a question? question. And I think it's quite a friendly question, but I suppose um, you said before that um, it does the classic Disney thing of animated animals going on an adventure. Why is it better than every other Disney film that does the same thing? What makes Rescuers the best Disney animals going on an adventure film? Hmm. Um, I think it's the affection and the sweetness mm. of the story. Uh I, I will concede that The Rescuers is quite a slow film. Uh, it takes a while to kind of get moving and, and, and get off the ground. But the, yeah, the, I think the affection between the two little mice and is just a beautiful thing to watch and I think that is part of what sets it apart as a great film. And it has, I mean, every Disney film has this, but it, it just also has some fabulous supporting characters as well. Uh, like for example, there, there's Everard the Dragonfly who is one of the, funniest non-speaking characters I've ever encountered in my life. He's like up there with the seagulls in Finding Nemo as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that. I think it's just, it's just the sweetness and the affection of the main characters and the, that carries the story. Okay. Is that answered? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. A, I think that's a lovely answer. Yeah, because I suppose um, I, it's always interesting when people come with these sorts of films that you haven't considered. And it's like, why did you pick this one? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's why I wanted to get to the bottom of that. Yeah. All right, well, we'll take another break. We'll come back with summations and the verdict. All right. So I have a lot of marks on my paper, but I am interested to hear the summarizing comments from each of our debaters. Uh, So again, Roz, you will go first with one minute Mm -hmm. to tell me why... The Rescuers is the best Disney film ever made and your time will start when you start talking. Okay. So The Rescuers is a visually stunning, beautiful and uncomplicated film that has all of the Disney heart and spirit within it. Uh, I'm going to sum up very, very simply by simply saying that it is a movie that you should watch by pushing yourself back in your chair so your feet can't touch the floor, opening your eyes as wide as they can go and just channeling your inner six-year-old. Yep. Good. Yeah, right. You had like 40 seconds to go, but all right. But the no. confidence. Yeah. <laughs> and the content. I, I pay that. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so am I. <laughs> Different reasons. <laughs> okay, Patrick, one minute. Why are The Nightmare Before Christmas is the best Disney film ever made? So we all know that Disney as a company is quite strict. So what does it take for a film that they released under a sister company to be brought into the Disney canon? become part of their yearly celebrations at all of their sites and to become a staple part of their imagery, branding and marketing. A fantastic story, a diverse cast, an amazing visual style and a story that teaches you, one, that it's all right to discover yourself, two, teaches you that there is always something to love about yourself even if you can't find it right now and that if you go out into the world, you will find many beautiful things and sometimes... It's enough just to see those and to support people in allowing them to do those beautiful things. I think the message is why this film connected with, yes, all the emos in 2006, but continues to connect with us to this day. It 
It explores so many of the tough parts of humanity, but in a joyous way and from an outsider's perspective. The monsters find love. Okay. (sighs) (laughs) No swearing, Jess. This is a family podcast. There are tears around the studio. You don't get more points for making me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what is going to happen now is you're going to spend some time telling each other what you like about each other's film and I'm going to do my tally and come back with my verdict. So please. Can I go first? You may. Um, I will admit that I didn't remember what The Rescue was about when I realised I was going up against it, but looking at it again, what you said about the visual style is 100% to be applauded. It is stunning to look at and they were so confident in it, that's what the marketing was. I um, watched some of the trailers and they said a four-year production, um, the greatest animated Disney film is coming to theatres. And they showed some of these sequences. And what I love is we spoke about how it does use a cell style of animation where the characters are over the backdrops. The backdrops are paintings. They are beautiful. The amount of love and detail and tone and richness of colour in that film is stunning and deserves to be applauded because later films I don't think do it as well. They had more resources and better technology, but the heart and the actual art of the craft isn't seen later. Whether it's because the artist got the time or the artists who work on it, I don't know. But visually, it is a beautiful film. The characters are charming and the notion of a a suburban, like an underground mouse rescue agency, the board meetings that they have, it's adorable. It is absolutely stunning. Um, I rewatched the scene today where they convene the meeting and, um, sorry, I've forgotten the name of the female mouse. Bianca. Miss Bianca mm-hmm. is appealing for the case to rescue the little girl. Mm-hmm. And it's this tongue-in-cheek play around with bureaucracy that's very funny, but it's also so endearing the entire time. And it, it's, it's just, it's an extremely charming film, but visually the whole film is a painting, every frame. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why it is a piece of art. And I think that's important to recognise, even though I hate to. (laughs) Uh, So I will say in my turn, and full disclosure here, it actually broke my heart when I found out I was going up against Nightmare Before Christmas because I I do adore the movie. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, It is a film that I watch with monotonous regularity and it's one of those films as soon as I put it in on, I'm just immediately happy. Uh, I mean, it is everything that you said about it is true. It is it is stunning to look at. The characters are wonderful. Um, Jack and Sally is just the love story to end all love stories, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's a a joyful, wonderful, visually brilliant film. And I, yeah, I love it. All right, I have tallied the points, and it's an interesting spread. Time. It is a very interesting <laughs> spread. Uh, so one of the runaway topics was that Disney touch and that went to the rescuers. I think that's fair. Uh, (laughs) Because you did kind of shoot yourself in the foot when you said that Disney produced it outside of itself and then adopted it later. Mm. Um, I I think the, the way that Disney has embraced it, does count towards it. Mm. So you didn't have negative points, Mm. but it is the rescuers is a unique little film because it does kind of represent everything that Disney is about or was about at the time. This uh, kind of beautiful animation, this touching story, the uh, the songs and the I guess the cameo again of Bambi and his mother. Um, I think that you really kind of like you 
well, you had a lot more points in the, in that Disney touch uh, uh, than the Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but where the Nightmare Before Christmas hit back again was the movie Magic. It is so intrinsic to that film, that style, all the different forms of animation, the incredible voice acting and acting in general, as well as uh, just the... Uh, I guess we keep coming back to this style and the way and the detail that is incorporated, the the attention to detail. So the Nightmare Before Christmas well and truly uh, took away the movie magic criteria. When we came to the message, there was a little bit of contention here. Uh, and this was a tied criteria. I think... <laughs> uh, yes, high fives all Cross table high five. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think Nightmare Before Christmas does have a lot to say uh, and it is kind of a different message than Disney usually puts out there. But, again, leaning on what Disney does well, The Rescuers um, is a great example of Disney putting forward a very simple message for children. Um, being that you don't have to be big and important to make a difference. Uh, and so I, you tied in that one. Now, there are two other categories, the magic moments and the magic music. And both of those went to Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, I, I think Nightmare Before Christmas and, and Danny Elfman, uh, really, you can't go past it. Like every song is a banger a great song that you will sing to yourself um i refuse to use the b word uh, <laughs> it's a brilliant piece of writing the other b word um so i will say that the nightmare before christmas is a better disney film than the rescuers but if you haven't watched the rescuers recently go watch the rescuers then go onto our facebook page and vote whether you think I've made the right decision. Uh, this was a lot closer than I was expecting it to be. Roz, you've done a great job arguing for the rescuers. Yeah, thanks, Roz. I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I can't breathe. Um, wow. So you will get to have your say if you think that the rescuers is a better film than Nightmare Before Christmas. Go on to our Facebook page. There will be a poll. You'll have one week to run your social campaign to get the rescuers in as a wild card to the second round of the debates. Uh, so thank you again for debating, Roz, uh, and we will see you again, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, Patrick. Doesn't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with Disney versus Disney. Even if you win, another Disney movie loses oh, and it's no. your fault. Well, I, and it's not one that I want to lose. There's some that I'll take down with relish, but not this one. Uh, thank you, you destroyed again. this Bianca. Oh. <laughs> Thanks again to Ellen Rose Sorensen for fact-checking us all you. the way to the end. And thank you to our studio audience for sticking, sticking it all the way through. Uh, so we will be back next week with another debate. So keep watching Disney, everyone, and catch you next time. The world is a mess. War, famine, politics. 
Why can't everyone just get along? Yeah, like in musicals. Musicals fix everything. If people listened and learned from musicals, everything would be better. Music, lights and spontaneous choreography. What isn't there to love? If you want to learn all of life's important lessons... Or just listen to some musical theatre nerds wax lyrical... Subscribe to Musicals Taught Me Everything I Know, wherever you find fun and funny podcasts. Or at our website at thatsnotcanonproductions.com. A That's Not Canon Productions podcast.